0: Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. For this episode, we're going to share with you the audio of our recent live event with Regina Mustafa.
1: It was just a great night. Regina is the founder of Community Interfaith Dialogue on Islam here in Rochester, Minnesota. And we talked with her about the importance of interfaith dialogue and why it is essential for us to be in relationship with those who aren't like us.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I think that more than ever, we need conversations like these. Uh, It was a great night, a great opportunity to interact with each other and learn from each other. Um, Many of us are just concerned for those who have been marginalized in our society, uh, particularly as our kind of cultural conflicts have been brought to the surface over the last few years, there's just so many places where all of us kind of are talking past each other
1: Mm -hmm, uh, instead mm -hmm. of coming together to actually improve our communities. Absolutely. You know what? I, and I think you just posted it on your, on your Facebook page, that, that commercial for Amazon. Yeah. yeah. The the Muslim uh, leader and the priest who are sitting down just, couple of older guys having a great conversation sharing a cup of tea uh you can just tell they're just these warm close friends and then they get up they go their separate directions and then they think of each other and then they both order knee pads like the exact same knee pads have you you ever like ordered a gift for for a friend or a family member that's the exact same thing i haven't but <laughs> but I love that. My brothers love giving each other. My brothers and I love, love giving each other these kind of twisted, funny cards. We have actually exchanged the same the card, same card. <laughs> uh, before. It's, it's just it's crazy. But That's beautiful, uh, yeah. But no, he. But the, in this this exchange in this video between this Muslim man and this in this Christian man, knee pads so that they could pray. Yeah. So in this, you see this common humanity and this beautiful exchange, and they gift one another something that they both need to worship mm-hmm. in the way that they don't necessarily right. agree on how that worship happens, but they they support one another in that in that common humanity and that expression.
0: Right. And I think what that video shows is that uh, when we have names, when we have real people, when we have real mm-hmm. relationships, um, kind of some of those surface things that we disagree on, some of the ways that we talk past each other kind of fall off the table. They aren't relevant anymore.
1: Absolutely. You can look into the, the face of, of your neighbors and, 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 and just and just love one another. And, and you know, we're sitting in an environment where, as you said, we need these names. We need these connections. Look, we have a president elect who is talking about a Muslim registry and it's not just theoretical. Yeah, It's actually talking about starting a Muslim re- registry. And the reason why that has any traction at all is because so many people don't have names, don't have relationships with one another. It's so easy to demonize a nameless, faceless person. But when that's your friend, when that's the person you sit and have a cup of tea with, like everything changes. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we just, I, I can't can't help but think that like, uh, what came out in the last year or so is just uh, this this truth that's been, it's it's a thing that has been real in our culture, um, and now it's on the table, and now we get to talk about it, and now we get to start putting some names to those faces. Now we get to start actually communicating with each other. I think we have some long, difficult work ahead of us, but but maybe a great place to start is conversation and just some deep
1: listening. Absolutely, and, and that's why we did this. That's why we connected with Regina. That's why we want to introduce her, her to you. That's... A start it's a start, it's a step in the right direction and, and yeah, that's why we're here. And with that, here's our live event. Enjoy. Welcome, Regina Mustafa.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone at the Sandbox Cooperative and thank you everyone at Gloria Day Lutheran. I'm just astounded and so impressed this collaborative effort and the professionalism and I thank you so much for giving me of your of your time this evening. Uh, Yes, I am from Philadelphia, born and raised, came here to Minnesota about 11 years ago. So two years ago, everybody's heard a little little group kicking it called ISIS, right? (laughs) Right, so that's about two years ago. Became so frustrated and fed up with their notoriety, with their beheadings. And, um, you know, I was engaged in interfaith dialogue here and there prior to summer of 2014, but I felt that, you know, we really needed a a Muslim organization here in Rochester that was devoted to interfaith dialogue because I was constantly getting this question from people, you know, does Islam really teach this? What is reliable information about Islam? And we all know that the internet is just full of garbage about any topic, uh, Islam included. So I felt that there needed to be an organization kind of like a home base that people, Muslims and non-Muslims, could rely upon um, for correct information about Islam. So City Community Interfaith Dialogue in Islam was born and I began it with a Um, Interfaith call for tolerance, ISIS is not Islam, which that was in the Oasis Garden of Calvary Episcopal Church right here downtown, where I had myself and a few other Muslim speakers. We uh, quoted verses from the Quran that do deal with tolerance and acceptance, and then we invited members from various other traditions to also read from their holy scriptures or words of wisdom from their tradition that also dealt with uh, acceptance. And I kept on using the word tolerance for quite a while, until I was having a conversation with a man from England, and he said to me, you Americans, you use the word tolerate, in such a, and forgive my English accent, but you use the word tolerate in such a, such a different way. and. You, know, you Yanks, he didn't, he didn't say Yanks, but I couldn't help myself. He said, you Yanks, you Yanks, you know, the way we think of it, you know, I would tolerate the pain in my knee. And I'm like, you, you are absolutely right. So since then, you know, I've been moving away from the word tolerate and moving towards acceptance. Because that's what it truly is. Tolerate, you have this sense of, okay, you're here. I don't really like that you're here, but I guess I'll put up with you. Um, where acceptance really, really you know, conjures up um, you know, an appreciation, an appreciation from even your, your, your similarities and your differences. So I had this idea um, more than two years ago, wouldn't it be fun, wouldn't it be great to have just something different, a, you know, a fresh way of engaging in interfaith dialogue? What about a talk show? where I would be the host and I would each month a monthly show where I would have a guest from a different spiritual religious background come on the show and they pretty much pretty much get to educate the public on why they believe and what they believe and I got in touch with the public library and they were thrilled about the idea so we partnered up they give me the auditorium once a month and yes I am the host of the talk show Um, I just happen to be Muslim and this week actually Even though the show will be celebrating its two-year anniversary in December, I this week will actually be the first time a Lutheran will be on the show, and I don't know how I managed to. I tried to put it off as much as I could, but I couldn't. I couldn't, and so to make up for it, I have not one but two Lutherans on the show, and it's called A Tale of Two Lutherans. Um, named after my favorite Dickens book, A Tale of Two Cities. So we have Chris Roberts, and then we have Pastor Carl Eric from Good Shepherd Lutheran joining us. And it's lots of fun, I like to keep it entertaining. It's pretty much, I get to play and everybody has to watch. That's pretty much what the show is all about. And um, yes, it is, it is a lot of fun. Um, so 24 shows, only four shows have been about, actually specifically about Islam, interestingly enough. Uh, my, another, my other initiative, which I like to, I'm most proud of this initiative, it's called Bridges, where, um, you know, what's a great way to meet people? So instead of having gatherings here, come, come and, you know, learn about Islam, I want to go and learn about what you believe. So I tell people that the best way to learn about Islam is through a person actually practices, practicing Muslim. So, one, i also demonstrate that by going into churches, synagogues, uh, meditative uh, gatherings, whatever, and observe, quietly observe. And actually, this morning, I attended it and observed uh, worship at Gloria Day Lutheran, and that was my 29th observance. And I've observed every, that was actually my fifth Elka observance. And I thought I was. That was it for Elka churches in town, and turns out there's two more. So, (laughs) you know, I was really proud that I. I still have a lot of work to do. So, the intention of bridges was, my intention was to go into every actual congregation in Rochester and observe, and I like to see each place. You know, it's all arranged ahead of time. I never just show up. Um, I usually hang out in the back under a rock in the shadows, and I just take take notes. And I write I, I positive reflections, and then I, house, I, um, I put them up on my website. So, 29 observances, only two of them have been uncomfortable. And if you read my reflections, you will never know which two they are. Because I don't believe that what happened in those two instances was reflective of the theology taught there. I think these were individual cases and I know a way would want to smear an entire community based on the actions of a couple. Sound familiar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I don't want to do that either. So um, it's it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. Um, I actually have a Catholic friend of mine who's been to, she was at Gloria Day this morning. She's been to almost every observance with me. Uh, the other part of that is that with my work, my organization, it's not just all about, hey, everybody come and learn about Islam. Everybody come and learn about Islam. I really feel that the Muslim community needs, needs to take a step forward and learn about their non-Muslim neighbor. Because I think if we're like, come learn about Islam. Come take a, you know, open house at the mosque. Oh, would you like to come into our church? No. Uh, then people are going to stop listening. People are going to stop caring. And I think it's the best thing to do. It's the Islamic thing to do. Um, and that, that truly builds a community. So I hope a couple of uh, Muslims have attended my observances with me. And also the reflections also serve as an educational tool for the Muslim community. Since it's so, again, easily accept uh, accessible, it's coming from, you know, a Muslim hopefully they feel this is a trusted source of information where, you know, whatever your schedule it is, if you can't if you can't make it to an observance, you get to see a glimpse inside each, inside each place, and I am yeah I am very very uh, I'm very proud of that, and I also teach um, courses about Islam, role of women in Islam, misconceptions of Islam through uh, community education, Rochester community education, and I've been welcomed around town at various congregations to give to give talks about uh, Islam, and I absolutely. I absolutely love it. It is my passion. Between the website, um, which I did build from scratch, and I like to think of it as my third child. <laughs> Not as bloody, but almost as much pain. <laughs> so, yeah, so that it, it is a lot of work keeping that all up, but I do absolutely love it. It doesn't make me a dime. It costs me money. Uh, but that I would rather be out in public speaking, doing these events, putting my neck out there, uh, than sitting it at home. I'm not comfortable with the fact of sitting at home and wishing that things weren't so bad out in the community as, as they are. I'd rather go out and face what the hardships are, what the challenges are. I have two young children at home, and I, I, I strive really hard to raise my children with good morals to be compassionate, to have character, which I think character, the, the, the existence of character in our children has kind of gone by the wayside, but that's a totally other talk. Um, and I think it's a shame if I put all that hard work into raising two good children, to raise them and put them out into a world that doesn't want them, at least not as outspoken or self-identified practicing Muslims, and that's exactly what's going on. So my children are my inspiration, and I think everybody's children are my inspiration. And so why interfaith dialogue? Why is it so important? I believe it's at the core of all of our faith traditions, is learning about the other. Is not the message of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, to go out and meet the other. Go Go talk to the person, the community that maybe has been shunned for a while, that has not been that popular, isn't that his true example? Uh, The Quran says, the Muslim holy book that Muslims believe to be the literal word of God, says that, O mankind, we have created you in nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another, not that you may despise each other. So I believe that the more that we go out and meet people, from different walks of life, we come to understand God more. And it's further proof of the existence of God. And the more we are reminded of the existence of God, the more, the more we are fulfilling our purpose in this life, which is to worship God. At least that's coming from a Muslim perspective, of course. So, what are the challenges of the work that I do? Uh, The challenges. So, every time there's something that happens in the world by a a Muslim, something gets blown up, somebody gets stabbed, I have to answer for it. Uh, Pretty much, I turn on my news in the morning, and that pretty much determines the kind of week I'm going to have Uh, I don't know if, I'm sure everybody was aware a number of weeks ago about the stabbing up in St. Cloud at the mall from a Somali Muslim. I heard it, I saw the news, and I'm like, do I really need to put out a statement about this? As awful as, you know, horrific as it was, and thank God nobody was killed during that. I was like, nah, I don't have to put out a statement about this. Don't people get it that I don't need to put out a statement about some guy going crazy in a mall and starting stabbing people? But no, that's pretty much exactly what did I ended up doing. Um, people were at news, people were calling me, what do, what do you want me to say about some guy wielding a knife in a mall? What the heck does that have to do with me? But you know that kind of comes with the territory of being an outspoken uh, you know, Muslim leader or whatever. So yeah. so interestingly enough, a day after a day after that, St. Cloud Stabbings, on social media, there was this image going around of a restaurant in Lonsdale, Minnesota. Has anybody heard about this? Yeah. Lonsdale, Minnesota, this family-owned restaurant, and with this great big road side sign, illuminated sign, he put out. Muslims get out, standing with St. Cloud. This is all over social media. And I was just completely outraged, saddened, because the first thing I think about is my children. My son now is seven, he's old enough to read. What if he, what if we were to drive by that restaurant and my son read that? What would it do to him? Uh, I consider my family to be practicing or practicing Muslims. So it's a total contrast to everything he's being taught at home about what Islam is. He, my son has no idea, my children have no idea about how hated they are in this, in this country. But so, on social media, I put out there, I said, I want to I go out and meet this restaurant owner. I can't drive, I'm visually impaired, if anybody didn't know, I have, I have no central vision, I'm all, so I don't drive. So I said, who wants to drive me? So a friend of mine said, I'll drive you. <laughs> the next night, we were on the road to Lonsdale, Minnesota. And seeing the sign in person is quite different than seeing it online. And of course, when we got there, the sign was actually worse than the image that was circul- circulating on the, on the internet. Online, it said, Muslims get out. When we got there, it said, Muslims get out of the USA. So not only did this gentleman, want us out of his restaurant, he wants us out of the entire country. So we get there and along the way I picked up a bouquet of flowers and a card. It was not my intention at all to go into this restaurant and disturb his business. That's his business. It was not my intention to cause a scene, to disturb the people who were eating there. They have the right to enjoy what they're paying for. I had other uh, Muslims from up in the cities saying let us know when you're going to go. We want to come too. I said, no, don't go. I will go. The last thing, <laughs> last thing this guy needs to see is, you know, this convoy of eagles, you know, emerging into his parking lot. You know, Muslims getting out. FBI would be there within 10 minutes and I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Okay. So no, 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 no. I'll go. I'll go. So I did a live Facebook video prior to going in. I did not bring in my phone going into the restaurant. I'm like, hey, Hey, I want to talk about peace here, you know, (laughs) you know. So I went in. Uh, Unfortunately, unfortunately, the place was packed, despite that sign being outside. And I went right in, went over to the counter, and asked to speak with the owner. And the owner came out. It was very busy. Um, The owner was also the cook. I didn't want to take up too much of his time. And I was lucky to get the few minutes that I had with him. And I, with my bouquet of flowers in hand, I just looked right into his eyes and I said, Sir, I am here to ask you to please to take down your sign outside. And he refused. And he defended the sign. And he said that I'm not talking about all Muslims. I'm just talking about the extremists said, sir, that's not what the sign says. Don't you think it's better to take down a sign than to have it up and give a message that you admit is not what you are actually thinking? And uh, no, he said no. And I um, started telling him about my children. I brought up my womanly tears. The men, you can't do that. <laughs> Only women can do that. I thought that it's, it's worked in the past. It didn't work this time. Um, Brought up my tears when I started talking about my children, um, but I said, "What if, what would I do if my son were to see that sign?" He's like, "You and your family, are welcome here anytime." i like, "Oh, really, really? Okay." Um, he said, "You could tell your son that that sign is about the extremists. That attention needs to be given to the extremist Muslims in this country that want to do our country harm." I said, "Sir, they get people and the public get that message." already on the news. Your sign doesn't need to be a reminder of that. So customers came in to pick up their food and that was it. I I put the flowers down and I left and that was it. And I kind of did a reflection live video when I got home. Um, KIMT picked it up before I know CNN and ABC picked up and it was distributed nationally. I had people contacting me from Texas, thanking me for what I had done. People back home, my hometown of Philadelphia, my friends saying, oh my gosh, I saw you on our local news. Um, I just got a message from a Muslim woman from Richmond, Virginia uh, just the other day saying she had just seen it and thanking me for my bravery uh, for going in. Um, I didn't know what I was gonna encounter when I went into that restaurant. I had no idea what I was gonna encounter when I left my home that evening and, you know, saying to my husband, okay, I'm going. He knew he couldn't stop me. (laughs) He knew, yeah, he gave up a long time ago. (laughs) But he knew he couldn't stop me, but I could tell, I could see in his eyes that he was very concerned about what would happen. Um, But I felt, I was not defeated. I went in there in peace. I left in peace. I objected to his sign, and I left him my card, and I said, if you ever wanted to have a conversation, uh, please contact me, I haven't heard from them. But I think that was a victory on my part. And, uh, but my, my week again is usually determined by actions in the world. Shortly after the San Bernardino attacks, I received an email uh, threatening me saying that I, for my own sake, I need to stop doing my faith talk show that I am lying to the people of Rochester, giving them false information about Islam. Um, I was called a brainwashed robot. And then shortly after the attacks in Paris, somebody else contacted me and called me an agent of death, saying I somehow was connected to these bombings in, in Paris. June, Faith Talk Show. This past June, I had an expert of Islamophobia, um, Todd Green. He's a professor at Luther College. And he was on the show, so the topic was Islamophobia. I learned during that show of the attacks in Nice, France, during the show. I hadn't, so it was pretty shocking and awkward to hear about it during the show. I get a call from a local news producer next day saying that somebody called the studio and complained about your show saying that you're using the Rochester Public Library to spread Islam. And that this person found a coincidental that on the same night as the Nice attacks, I was having this show about Islamophobia, connecting me with the attacks in Nice. So this is what my existence is like doing this kind of work. And I say these kind of bizarre emails average. I get them about every week. Bizarre people following me on Twitter. They kind of hang low and you know, have a screen a profile image of a young James Dean. And all of a sudden I jump out of the woodwork and they start sending me all these harassing tweets, and then I vlog them. And then a week later, I notice that some a young Frank Sinatra is following me on Twitter. Interesting and then all of a sudden they come out and they start saying all these harassing things to me and I'm going to block you again. So now I pay a little bit more attention, you know, about who's following me on Twitter. So yeah, that's that that that's always a good one. So so that's that's the challenges with doing the kind of work that I do, but again, I do absolutely love it and I think growing up in the tough area of northern Philadelphia I'd like to think that those experiences have better equipped me (laughs) for this kind of work, because it definitely isn't for the faint of heart. Uh, So misconceptions about Islam, that's something that I like to cozy up to next to a roaring fire with a blanket and think about all the misconceptions about Islam as I sip my coffee and snuggle up and fall asleep. Uh, There there are plenty. They're everywhere. Um, Call them out to me. What are some of the most mis- misconceptions about Islam? Don't be shy. I'm feminist. Okay. So, if women are oppressed, right? I'm feminist. Another one. Terrorism. Terrorism. Yep. Violence. Violence. Yeah. These are all these are all common ones. Absolutely and I get them pretty frequently, I get them pretty frequently. There is a difference between just not knowing, being curious, and Islamophobia. There is a difference between saying, you know, hey, you know, I read the Quran and I really don't get it, and I don't know, your prophet doesn't really seem to be that much of a prophet to me, that's that's your honest opinion. And then there's a difference, and I did get this question one time, I got done a two hour uh, presentation about The role of women in Islam and this woman comes up to me kind of hesitant and she says I got a question but I'm kind of you know I don't know if I should I said I have been asked everything go ahead so she looks me right in the eye and she says tell me the truth is Obama really Muslim (laughs) (laughs) wow I, ugh, I said, well, you know, if he is, he's really not a good one. <laughs> and I said, why do you ask that as if even if he were, that would be such a bad thing? And she said, no. Look at where the Christmas tree is this year in the White House. It's not where it usually is. <laughs> and she was totally serious. That's Islamophobia. Wow. That's Islamophobia. We have 10 states now having anti-sharia laws in their state constitutions. They don't even know what the heck sharia is. People subta- sometimes, sharia law. People, people sometimes say to me, well, yeah, I had a friend who said that all Muslims believe in sharia. you know." And I, d- I defended you. And I said, no, not all Muslims believe in sharia. I believe in sharia. Do you even know what sharia is? No. yeah, I do believe in sharia law. That's one of the most common misconceptions that I get is, what is Sharia law? But people don't realize that it's actually against Sharia law to infiltrate a government and destroy it from within and implement Sharia law. That is against Sharia law, Okay. Uh, It's in Sharia law that now when I get married to my husband, my husband has to give me a monetary gift. The man gives the dowry in Islam. It's not the other way around. And it's any amount that I want. Luckily, my husband agreed to that. But I, I, I tease him. I think I let him off pretty easy. <laughs> so I would have asked. Looking back at it now, I would have asked for a lot more. <laughs> but, you know, that's it. So Sharia law. Women. Somebody mentioned women. Yes. 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 This awful oppressive chain whatever that I have around my head is it really so different from western culture is it so different how wasn't that long ago as a woman you would never step foot into a church without something on your head wasn't so long ago that a gentleman would never step out of his house without a hat on his head now maybe that person is not putting that hat on his head because he's okay I'm thinking about my Christian beliefs and I need to go put my hat on the head but the the concept of a difference between what is public and what is private putting a hat out, a hat on your head a woman putting a hat on her head gloves a suit proper attire being presentable in the public space it's the same principle it's the same principle and muslims in no way believe that we have a copyright on covering one's head and we in no way believe that it began with Islam, the notion of covering one's head as a sign of modesty and as a sign of humility and proper dress within the public space. So, honor killings. Let's talk about that little uncomfortable topic. One of the most you know, common questions that I get honor killings. Everybody know what honor killing is? Right? woman with so this is how this is how the okay let me tell you how the western media says what honor killings are. A woman from a Muslim family probably within a Muslim country gets pregnant outside of marriage or she runs off and marry runs off and marries someone that the family did not say that she can marry and the members of her own family kill her to restore the family's honor. Okay I think in I think it was 2015 2014, the the numbers of honor killings that took place within Muslim households in Muslim countries was about a 1,000. Horrifying. Is it in Islam? Absolutely not. Is it in the Quran? No. Is it in the traditions of the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him? Absolutely not. Show of hands, whoever here has ever heard about dowry killings? Dowry killings? No. Now a show of hands, if you knew what honor killings were, if you've heard of them. Everybody heard about honor killings, okay. In India, and this has nothing to do with Hinduism, okay. In India, one year, there were 6,000 dowry killings. So basically, a woman and a wife in that culture, either the, the husband's family is not pleased with the amount of dowry that she brought into the marriage, or you know they've been married for a while, they're not that happy with her. Um, they, the members of the family, will get together and kill her. A lot of the times she is lit on fire and they attribute it to a kitchen accident and the police don't investigate it. Now I'm not at all trying to smear Indian culture because I could, right here, right after that I could go on, I could go on for 10 hours about the messed up things in our own culture but my point is how come the western media doesn't talk about dowry killings where they were six times. one year you had 1,000 honor killings, and the same year you had 6,000 dowry killings. Why? Because Muslims weren't doing it. Muslims weren't doing it. Did anybody hear the story a, a week or so ago about those three white supremacist anarchists who were trying to bomb a Somali apartment in Oklahoma? Anybody hear about that? Raise your hand. I watched CNN, Fox News, forget it, forget it. I monitored Fox News online, not once they put a story about that on their news. CNN took too long putting it up. They took about, I would say about a good 10 hours before a news article came up. I would say it was about three hours it was gone. Three hours it was gone. These three white supremacists, they, were, they had been followed and tracked since February by the FBI had planned to drive four car bombs into an apartment building mainly inhabited by Somali Muslims in Oklahoma. And thank God their plot was discovered and they were all arrested. You barely heard a whisper about it. If they had been three Muslims planning to blow up some whatever, white Don Wasp, sorry, dominated uh, area. it would have been all over the news. You would have had the president on, the, on TV condemning the atrocities. You would have had foreign leaders uh, you know, sending their condolences to the United States. It would have been called homegrown terrorism all over the place. This is the double standard that I have to deal with every single day. The fact that you have Islamophobe uh, speakers currently now going through northern Minnesota Going into churches, community centers, and telling them about the threat of Muslims and how we're going to take over the country is going on right now. So it is extremely difficult to get the motivation to keep doing what I'm doing when I know at the same time there's somebody right in this own state that's countering the work that I'm trying to do and the work you're trying to do here. There was a church, a Baptist church, very northern Minnesota, um, where a big time Islamophobe uh, John Guandolo, his name is, disgraced FBI agent, who wrote the book, Raising a Jihad, lovely book with a lovely cover, the J was a knife. Isn't that, you know, comforting? This guy approached the Rochester Police Department just a couple months ago and offered training about Islam to our police officers. This was just a couple months ago. Luckily, our police chief, has intelligence, looked him up and found out what this guy's deal really was and declined the training. Turned out he had just finished training a police department in Colorado. So now you have police officers roaming around the streets being taught that if you happen to pull over somebody, whatever, traffic violation, if you find Islamic material in their car whether it be a Koran, whatever, that is reason for you to further investigate this person and arrest them. So in the land of the free, home of the brave, in some cities you possibly could be arrested for practicing your own religion and having your holy book in the back seat of your own car. Can you imagine that? That's not the country that I want for my children. I didn't push those two kids out of me, man. No <laughs> painkillers no drugs pushed those kids out of me and brought them into this world to raise them with this garbage. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's not... No, no, no. That's why I'm doing... That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is my time up? <laughs> it's been 20 minutes? Because once I get going, it's really hard for me to stop. <laughs> it's really hard for me to stop. Uh, but I don't, like, ever leave... A presentation on a on a negative note the overwhelming amount of support that I have gotten from the people of Rochester from people up in the cities have has been phenomenal and that is why I continue to do it because I believe it does make a difference and I am so blessed that there are people like the people at Gloria Day Lutheran there's so many people in this town who have supported Muslims who have put blessed Ramadan on their church grounds during this past Ramadan, who have opened their church doors, opened their arms to the Muslim community and not for purposes of proselytizing because I know when that happens. And it's genuine, it's genuine. That's true Christianity. When you have a concern for your fellow human being, that's the true example of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. So the amount of support that I, have, that I have received is so humbling. And every time there's 29 observances, every time I go into a place of worship, a prayer setting, I try to see each place through a child's eyes. What brings them here every morning? Why give up some of your time that you could have been at home with your family anywhere? But you come here each week, why do you come here? I try to see each place like that, I try to appreciate it for what it is. I love looking at the details and the architecture. Uh, is it decorated? Is it, is it um, very simply decorated, like in a, in a synagogue, or is it very ornately decorated, like in a Greek Orthodox Church? Both of them extremely beautiful. Okay, that should be appreciated. We should keep coming to our congregations, our temples, our synagogues, our our prayer groups because that benefits society and yes we still need to come to our mosques too. I don't want people to be okay with Muslims as long as they're not too practicing. I am not a reformer of Islam nor am I stepping outside of the fold of my faith by being an outspoken female Muslim. Absolutely not. I do that because of the strong female characters within my Islamic tradition. Absolutely. And I like to end on one time I was observing at First Presbyterian Church. Beautiful, beautiful building. Highly recommend it. Everyone doing observance there. Great stuff. They lit a candle and then they brought the, the 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 flame at the end of the service. They brought the flame out of the church. I thought that was very very interesting. I think that was the only time I had uh, observed that. But anyway, um, a call uh the time of the uh, the service came where. You know, the Reverend asked the people in the, in the congregation to bow their heads and to kind of say a, a, a silent prayer asking for God's forgiveness. And this man sitting in front of me, I watched him and his shoulders just fell over and his head was just hung low, no doubt. He was contemplating maybe the mistakes he had, he had made in his life, the way he has gone wrong, and begging his God for forgiveness. And I was privileged to be able to sit behind him and witness that because I thought I'm right along there with you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sandbox Cooperative live event with Regina Mustafa. Be sure to check out the bonus episode with questions from the evening. I'm Chris. I'm Dave. See ya.
2: Please watch your step as you exit the
1: sandbox.